is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. Now that both President Biden and former President Trump are being investigated by the Justice Department over possessing potentially classified documents, what happens to them politically? As the president lost the high ground on Mr. Trump, we go in-depth into the upcoming battle between Democrats and Republicans over a very explosive issue. More rain is set to hit Southern California this weekend with all these recent storms helping the Sierra snowpack. What about our other big water source, the Colorado River? We're going to try to find out. Oil companies for years have led the charge on sowing doubt about climate change, but a new study claims one oil giant knew what was going on with surprisingly accurate results. We'll go in depth. A new government UFO report is out. So are aliens real? Well, we'll uh, get into that. You would think if they were real by now, like one would land and they'd go yeah. shopping at Target or I something I still have like my theory, though. Yeah, um, well, we'll get into that later. But we start now with President Biden, former President Trump, and those documents with us is Arizona Republican Congressman Andy Biggs. Congressman, thanks for being with us. Th- thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So the, the White House line and the Democratic side of Congress, their line is, okay, yeah, Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump uh, had in their possession classified documents, but, what says the White House, The key difference is Mr. Biden, when he found out about it, uh, he and all of his associates and aides uh, were very quick to respond and cooperate. And Mr. Trump was not. Are you buying that? Uh, No, I'm not. I mean, and here's why. The timeline seems suspicious, doesn't it? I mean, first of all, uh, they're dribbling it out. I mean, we've had three different uh, locations, three different days. And that November 4th, um, uh, explanation or call to the DOJ doesn't tell us when they actually found the first tranche of documents. So there's some timeline holes that have to be filled in before you, you can accept that uh, that dichotomy. Now, the, the timeline that I understand is that the documents were found. The first call was made to the White House Counsel's Office, who then immediately called the uh, archives, and they got the documents the next day. But you don't know when they found the documents. They well, made that, the call that, on that was the story. They're saying that when they found the documents, they immediately called. And then by the next yeah, day, I, the archives had the documents. That, that's their story. Yeah, Do you so have I, evidence that that is not the case? No, but uh, I, I don't have any evidence to support what they're saying. I mean, there's no evidence to support what they're saying. So let's that's, talk about yeah, I'm sorry. Let's talk about the uh, the politics of it, because this is both, as, as you know, this is both a legal story and we're going to let the lawyers deal with that part of it. But since you're a congressman, let's deal with the political part of this. What are the political ramifications, both for Mr. Biden and for Mr. Trump, since they are now I mean, we're in this unprecedented unprecedented situation where we have a presidential election coming up in 2024 and Mr. Trump, a declared candidate, and Mr. Biden, a presumed declared candidate, are both under investigation. Well, welcome to welcome to the strange world of politics in 2023. (laughs) I mean, that's I mean, that's that, you know, half of Congress is probably under investigation for something. (laughs) I I don't know. But but uh, the reality is this will have. I think some more, I would call it around the edges, marginal type of political 
implications unless unless there's an actual criminal uh, referral and, a, and an indictment or something like that. I mean, this is what Mark Elias said, who's who's a bulldog attorney for for uh, defense causes, left wing causes. He said about Trump uh, when this was kind of coming out again uh, on Trump. He said, "Look, this is a, a win win type of thing because even if he doesn't have him." Um, he's under a cloud. So if they begin, DOJ begins investigating him, he's under a cloud while he's running for president. Or if they indict him, he has to run against an indictment. So the, that was his his uh, hopefulness. I mean, that's what he thought was hopeful. They, the same thing now would be true about Joe Biden, but I, I President Joe Biden. But I do think that it's a real uh, – it moves to the edges because uh, – in some ways, it's really kind of tangential stuff. I mean, we don't know what we don't know what was actually in the trove of either one, right? That that's correct. Let me ask you this, Congressman, because you said in in passing and joking, uh, I think joking, that maybe half of Congress uh, is under investigation. But you're a politician. You're a congressman. Are you disillusioned yourself about the situation and and this? This predicament that this country now finds itself in, where the public already has a high degree of, of distrust in government and government officials. And now, as I said before, my question to you, we have two people probably running against one another for president who are under investigation. Yeah, I, I mean, disillusionment doesn't begin to, to describe it. That word does not begin to describe it for me. Um so I mean we're we're on what I call a suboptimal path, and uh, to we were trying that's what we were trying to do for instance last week is just change the trajectory, change the path, and that requires uh, opening up the process, changing the rules of the house, because over the last uh, really four or five decades you've seen this uh, centralization, this irrigation of power right to the center. Um, and even Paul Ryan tweeted, not he, uh, some, CNN tweeted out what he told told them yesterday, which was he felt he had too much power when he was the speaker because he it was four people making the decisions on massive spending bills, massive bills, omnibus bills. And there's a reason that the American public is disillusioned. First of all, federal government is way too big. Second of all, um, their representative has such little um, influence or impact on what's going on. So until we break that, the cartel, I call it the cartel, which is a both party issue. It's a both party issue. And um, I had um, people on the far, far side opposite of me in my own conference come and say, look, you know, I may not like what you're doing, but the rules that I, I support all the rules that you guys are trying to get through. So the changes we are trying to make, I think, are what's necessary to exit a suboptimal path and move to a little right. bit a better path. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Republican uh, Arizona, Republican Congressman Andy Biggs. More on the political fallout over the documents found at an office and the home of President Biden. Steve uh, Mifiglio is a longtime Democratic strategist based here in California. Steve, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. So uh, I think you were listening to our last segment when we had a Republican congressman on and, and his take on things. And, and, you know, toward the end of that, uh, when he was asked about if he's disillusioned, I guess, uh, with the way government is and all of these sort of scandals and semi-scandals that keep 
seems endlessly coming up. I think he said uh, that that would be uh, uh, an understatement, in effect, to use that word. Shouldn't the American public be really disillusioned? Don't they have a right to be at this point? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, day after day, there seems to be another scandal. One of Mr. Briggs's colleagues who apparently lied about everything he did and was and got elected to Congress. And people like Mr. Biggs are not asking him to resign. So, you know, if you're going to walk that walk, then you got to talk that talk and uh, clean up your own house first, which apparently the Republicans aren't willing to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you agree with the, the appointment of a special counsel for Mr. Uh, Biden? And I, I would assume as a Democratic strategist, you certainly agreed with it in the case of Mr. Trump. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the right thing to do. I think the Justice Department for itself needs to increase its reputation as being impartial. And this is the way to do it by putting somebody who's a Trump appointee, apparently, uh, in charge of this. So there'll be you know, his word will be the uh, what is going to be thought of as a fair and independent voice. And we need that. And think the big difference, as you pointed out before, is that Trump resisted all the requests to return documents, even after he was being subpoenaed. And as far as we know, the Biden folks uh, found the papers and went to the archives and reported it. So that, to me, is a big difference. And we'll see what the special prosecutor finds. Steve, are you, are you though, uh, at all concerned or upset about the time lag that, that uh, you know, Mr. Biden and the White House, they were aware since November that this was going on. And, you know, considering the political uh, brouhaha over Mr. Trump's predicament with classified documents, didn't the White House have or didn't the president have an obligation to come out and talk to people, the public about that? It only came out because of a news report. Had it not been for that, we might still not know about it. Right. But, but you know, you got to remember, he was, they were following the process. They reported to the archives, which is the, the process to do it. Uh, I don't know if he had, you know, had a report to the whole free world about it until they found out you know, what the situation was and what those documents are, which we still don't know. And having worked in a classified position in Washington during the Clinton administration, I can tell you there's so much stuff marked as classified that, you know, you wouldn't even. It's not like the the rocket science and the secret codes to nuclear weapons most often than that. Very routine things are marked as classified. So let's see what it is first before. Well, and, and doesn't that argument also hold for Mr. Trump? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think the difference is, you know, he was subpoenaed for those papers and he still said no. And whereas the Biden people said, here they are. Take a look. And I think, you know, in both cases, a special prosecutor is warranted. And certainly this muddies the waters for Mr. Trump. He's looking pretty good now saying, hey, I'm not the only one who did this. <laughs> and politically, it's embarrassing for the president. But I think pointing that special prosecutor is the right thing to do. And they'll get to the bottom of both instances. And, and, and speaking of the special counsel, uh, Robert Hur, he is a Trump appointee uh, originally. Uh, uh, do you have an issue with that? Do you think that, that this is still uh, kind of uh, impartial? Yeah, I think it's actually a good idea. If you have somebody who, you know, many people would think would be bound and determined to find something, not find something, that'll be very good for the president. If you were consulting, because you are a consultant right now, if you were consulting Mr. Biden, what would you tell him? You know, my advice on these things is the cover up is always worse than the crime. So get everything you have out there. Let the American people see what it is as much as you can, because it is classified information. Uh, be forthcoming with people uh, and tell the truth. 
because in most instances, that's what will prevail. You know, the, I have an expression I teach my students in class is the best spin is the truth. And I, I sincerely believe that. Uh, put, you know, they call it the full Monty. Put everything out there. Let the people see it and let them decide. Well, what are you doing in politics then? <laughs> I'm not an author. <laughs> All right, thank you. Steve uh, Maviglio, a longtime Democratic strategist based in California. A little bit later in the show, a major oil company may have been right this whole time about climate change, despite casting doubts and more UFOs. You know, those funny little things mm -hmm. that people keep claiming they see in the sky. Well, there are more of them reported, and the government can't explain away at least some of them. Right now, though, uh, more rain is on the way this weekend, but there has been some good news out of these series of storms to hit the state. The Sierra snowpack is the highest it's been in more than two decades. That means more water to drink. But here in Southern California, we also rely on the Colorado River. And there is some concern about shrinking water levels in Lake Mead and Lake Powell. David uh, Simmerall is uh, Associate Research Scientist of Climatology in the Desert Research Institute in Nevada. He's also an author for the U.S. Drought Monitor. Thank you so much for joining us. So the main question is, and, and it's the question that always gets asked when we start talking about, uh, yes, we've had storms, but yes, we are still having some problems. Uh, did the storms help with the situation in Lake Mead and Lake Powell at all? Um, no. <laughs> the short answer is no. Uh, the problems, uh, the shortfalls in those uh, two reservoirs, the largest in the, in the country, have taken place over the course of uh, uh, several decades, and uh, they're going to take uh, a much longer time for those to recover, as well as the the water that feeds into those reservoirs comes from the upper Colorado River Basin. And uh, those particular areas are not, they're doing well this season, but not faring quite as well as uh, California in terms of snowpack. But the upper Colorado uh, Basin right now is currently about 150% uh, of normal. So they should be expecting some good inflow into the reservoirs, but they are so low at this point. Uh, they're at 24% uh, full for uh, in terms of Lake Powell and Lake Mead at 28%. Uh, is, is it because it's not, even when we have these torrential rains, is it not raining in just the right place? Or is it, to your point earlier, we, we're talking about such a, a huge reservoir, reservoirs, that we just have to have a repeat of this kind of rain over and over and over again, essentially? Yeah, and, and again, what's going on in California isn't impacting those reservoirs because it's in a different drainage basin. How California receives the water from the Colorado River system is via the, the uh, Los Angeles aqueduct, and that takes water over into Los Angeles and San Diego. So what we're counting on is what's going on in the headwaters uh, of those of the basin, and that's going to be areas of western Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and uh, areas of uh, northwestern New Mexico as well. And those, as you said, uh, the sheer size of the reservoirs and how low they are, uh, even with an above average year this year, the projections are not looking very good. Even the uh, recently the U.S. Bureau of Rec Reclamation did a uh, two-year, 24-month uh, forecast uh, for inflow into the reservoirs. And even the 
the worst case scenario, but even the, the more likely scenario that's going to occur shows below normal inflow into those reservoirs. And go ahead. I I was going to ask you, let's pretend you're God uh, for a second and that you could take the rainstorms that we've had here over the last two weeks and move them where you say they need to be. How many of those would you need to get these reservoirs back to where they're supposed to be? Well, if I was to take a stab at it, I would say it's going to take somewhere in the area of four to five uh, winters with well above average snowpack in the upper Colorado River Basin to fill those reservoirs back up. And of course, we don't know what's going to happen in the next four to five years, but certainly the past four to five years wouldn't give us any great reason to be optimistic, would it? Yeah, it's been uh, highly variable uh, from year to year, and uh, different parts of the West obviously are uh, influenced uh, during these ANSO cycles. Uh, get There's differing precipitation patterns that occur across the West. Uh, we are likely to be moving into an El Nino cycle, which generally favors the southern half of the region, tends to be a little bit wetter but it also tends to be a little bit warmer as well. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that's really worrisome with Lake Mead, uh, if the projections pan out, even the conservative ones, it's looking like by uh, July, this coming July, uh, that it's gonna dip low enough that it's gonna fall into the uh, uh, tier three uh, shortage uh, cuts that are gonna occur and that will impact California in terms of of the cuts. What does that mean? What do those cuts mean? Well, California and the lower Colorado River uh, states, uh, California has the senior water rights. And to date, they haven't had any cuts. And if this goes down, drops down to this level this summer, uh, there'll be some pretty significant cuts that occur across all of the Uh, all the states in the lower basin, including what's coming over in the aqueduct uh, over to Los Angeles and San Diego. All right. And and just some contextual information, about 15% of the water for Southern California comes from the California aqueduct. All right. Thank you. Uh, David Simmerall, uh, Associate Research Scientist for Climatology and the Desert Research Institute in Nevada. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. What did ExxonMobil know and when did it know it when it comes to climate change? A new study published in the journal Science finds Exxon came up with an accurate series of global warming projections between 1977 and 2003. Yeah, the research was done by experts at Harvard and the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research. With us now is lead study author uh, Jeffrey Supron, formerly at Harvard, but now a professor of environmental science and policy at the University of Miami. Thanks for being with us. Hi, both. Nice to be here. So, you know, this sort of reminds me of the tobacco industry in that for years it turned out the tobacco industry was well aware that uh, their product cigarettes were not only highly addictive, but also uh, very dangerous to people's health. And yet for decades, you know, they held out saying they didn't have enough evidence to prove that or, or it was you know, exaggerated. Is that analogous to this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in almost every sense, um, big oil is the new big tobacco. 
um, having drawn very much directly from the tobacco industry's playbook when it comes to promoting unreasonable doubt uh, about the science, warning about the dangers of their products in order to delay, you know, regulation, other kinds of action. Um, in, in this particular instance, you know, ExxonMobil from the late 1980s all the way through to at least the early 2010s was pointing to scientific uncertainties as a, an excuse for inaction, even though, as our study here shows, that level of uncertainty didn't didn't actually exist according to its own scientists. So the assumption is it's a matter of money and they're making too much money selling the oil and that's what's causing climate change. So we, we can't talk about climate change. But what, if anything, could have happened? Let's say that Exxon uh, did release this information and, and backed up what the scientists were saying about climate change. Uh, could it have made a difference to where we are now? And how much of a difference do you think it would have made? Yeah, well, interestingly, um, the, the sort of world-leading environmentalist Bill McKibben, um, I saw him write a piece about our study um, today or yesterday, and and um, he, he was musing actually about this very point, this question of imagine if in the hot summer of 1988, when NASA's chief climate scientist Jim Hansen testified to Congress that he was now 99% certain human-caused global warming was occurring and climate change first hit the headlines around the world, Imagine if that evening, you know, um, Exxon CEO had come on to the evening news because it still existed at that point and, and said, you know, our scientists agree. We see exactly the same thing. This is a potential existential crisis and let's get to work. Um, the king of big oil weighing in in that way, weighing in with the same weight that it ended up, uh, weighing in in the opposite direction and attacking science and scientists. Obviously, one can only speculate, but um historians and, and sociologists um i'd say generally agree that you know that the history of disinformation by big oil has cost society at least a decade if not two and and, and in doing so has locked us into this um this crisis that we now face but what's puzzling i guess to a degree is that i mean you know it's not like you can conceal climate change it, it's kind of too big i and did did they really think that if their own scientists were convinced that climate change uh, is real and would have potentially dire consequences down the road, they, they must have been been smart enough to know that eventually people would figure that out, or is it just a question they figured they can buy as much time as they could and make as much money as they could until people did discover it? Well, I mean, obviously, I don't, I, I don't, I can't put myself in the head of. of you know, oil executives and, 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 and I shouldn't over speculate, but, you know, our read of the historical documents is that, um, they essentially were through the science, building up information, uh, establishing credibility. So they'd have a seat at the table when, as you say, inevitably the, t the table sits down and policy gets written. These are all explicitly, explicitly made strategies internally from documents in the seventies and eighties. So I'm, I'm not speculating there. Uh, and, and, and with that knowledge, they remained silent for as long as they possibly could until, as I said, it hit the headlines in the late eighties. And, and they, they literally saw it as what they called a, a critical moment. They drew an analogy to the ozone crisis before and, and realized they had no choice at that point, but to come out swinging. And unfortunately, they did so in the wrong direction, taking the low road. Um, and, and yeah, certainly, you know, it's a profit driven motive, um, primarily. Uh, as you say, holding off as long as they possibly can. And, and while that might sound, um, you know, like a naive strategy, frankly, they've managed to do it for 40 years. They're, they're, they're still well in business. And 
And, and although, as our research shows, although their rhetoric has evolved, the end goal remains the same, and that's to delay action on climate change. All right. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Jeffrey uh, Supon, a, a professor of environmental science and policy at the University of Miami. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about a new uh, government report on UFOs, and we're waiting to hear from uh, uh, a uh, really distinguished astronomer astronomer who has a lot of uh, thoughts on this. Um, Because, as I said, the government releases this report, the country's top intelligence officials. They say that national security agencies are studying hundreds of new UFO reports, including many that appear to uh, perform maneuvers that are highly advanced. And, of course, that raises the question, are these objects from Earth or beyond Earth? Avi Loeb is a Harvard professor and former chair of the university's Department of Astronomy, also the author of Extraterrestrial, the first sign of intelligent life beyond Earth, and a new book coming out later this year called Interstellar, the search for extraterrestrial life and our future in the stars. Thank you for joining us. So these uh, new reports coming out, if you've had time to review them, uh, what do you make of them, do you think that we're looking at secret military technology that's happened to be spied on by the public, or are we looking at the possibility that these are of extraterrestrial origin? Well, thanks for having me. Um, this report from the Director of uh, National Intelligence uh, mentioned uh, a total of 510 uh, reports as of the end of August 2022. And Of that number, 171 are uncharacterized and unattributed reports. So in other words, they don't know what they are, at least for a third of the objects. The data is not good enough for the government to figure them out. And uh, there are two possibilities that come to mind. One is uh, uh, spy devices, uh, drones, for example, uh, that another nation like the Chinese are using to look at the strategic uh, sites uh, here in the U.S. And the second possibility is that it's not terrestrial at all, that these are objects that were manufactured by another civilization and uh, arrived to Earth. And uh, of course, in the first case, it's a matter of national security. And that's why the government uh, is studying those uh, and uh, most of the interesting information is probably classified. We will never see it. Uh, but if the government reaches the conclusion that uh, even one of these objects arrived from an extraterrestrial origin, then it will be the most significant uh, discovery that humanity ever made. But uh, my suspicion is if they see that it's not a national security risk, then uh, they're not a scientific organization. They will just push it aside and move on. It's the duty of scientists to get engaged and figure out these objects because the sky is not classified. Okay, but and and I'm sure you know the the axiom, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof, right? So, uh, you know, if let's just sort of presume for the moment that even one of these objects uh, is from some other planet, some other solar system, whatever. Why keep playing games with us? Why not land somewhere, you know, New Jersey, say, grab a burger, shake, and then take off? Well, we are imagining that they really care about us, but uh, it really depends on the objectives of those devices. Uh, uh, You know, we had our science and technology for about a century. Quantum mechanics was discovered 100 years ago. And all the gadgets that we use, like the cell phones, the Internet, 
the reason that the two of us are communicating. It's all based on our understanding of quantum mechanics that was only learned uh, about uh, over the past century. So uh, 100 years is one part in 100 million of the age of most stars. And most stars form billions of years before the sun. So it's much more likely that uh, if we find a gadget, it would represent technologies far more advanced than we currently possess. And uh, the objectives and uh, uh, the kind of information that this gadget is gathering and the way it operates would be well beyond what we comprehend. And so I would argue that we shouldn't have a prejudice. We shouldn't think that we are at the center of the universe, that everyone cares about us. In fact, if this gadget, uh, if one gadget arrived from tens of thousands of light years away, you know, it took uh, millions or even a billion years for it to arrive here. And it started the journey long before we existed. So it it is not the intent of this gadget to focus on us. And, you know, we might be just like ants in uh, on the crack of a pavement looking around and then a, a biker comes through. Yeah. Well, I have a theory, and this is my theory. Uh-oh. That uh, the reason aliens have not come down and talked to us is because we are a test tube. And they don't want to interfere with the experiment. They want to see how long it takes a society that uh, develops technology to blow itself up. And uh, right now we're going on about, what, six, 7,000 years, and they don't want to interfere with the experiment so they can get an accurate reading. I'll do you one better. I, I, yeah. I think they just think we're stupid. That could be <laughs> it, too, yes. And the yeah, other possibility, I, mean, I, I uh, actually, a scientist friend of mine mentioned this to me. One of the, one of the uh, uh, ideas about, uh, well, it takes so long for them to get here. As, as you mentioned, it, the time span of getting here would take so long, you know, unless they've invented a Star Trek warp drive. But uh, it's not specifically the aliens who are coming here it's their devices or the aliens might be devices having advanced so much they have become uh say mechanical computerized beings and so a long journey would mean nothing to them yeah i think most likely the uh, it would be devices equipped with artificial intelligence and we might need to use our ai systems to figure out their ai systems because our ai systems will feel uh, kinship to their ai systems more than to us uh, but uh, the thing is, uh, I mean, the biggest mistake we can make is to try and imagine what these things are instead of just looking up and observing and collecting data. And I think, you know, that that is something that modern science allows us to do, to use telescopes, to use cameras and and, and figure out what these objects are by getting high resolution images uh, by monitoring how they move using mm -hmm. well-calibrated instruments, uh, using the scientific method, basically. And instead of us waiting for the U.S. government to release its data, to declassify data, the U.S. government is not a scientific organization. Right. They don't care about things that have nothing to do with with the national security. So we should take our fate to our own hands. That's okay. the way science is done. We should collect the new data because the sky is not okay. classified. Well, we've got to end it there because we're coming to the end of the show. But that's uh, Avi Loeb, Harvard professor, former chair of the University Department of Astronomy. So, you know, your your theory is, is probably as good as mine. Yeah. I mean, you know. Could be. Could I mean, be. Because yeah. who knows? No. Until we meet them and it's uh, the Vulcans from, you know, planet Vulcan coming down to give us warp drive, we won't know. This has been KNX In-Depth. I'd be happy if they just gave us sort of like a, a really like gas-free, electric-free car. That there would be really go. nifty. There you that go. would be really good. One that you don't even need to plug in. No, no, just drive.
This has been KDX in depth. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, with no, insurance. not tomorrow. With insurance uh, covered, by the way. We will be back on, uh, I think, Tuesday. Tuesday.